Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning, College Life. So glad to be with you all this morning as we start a new series through the book of First John. And before we begin this morning, I wanted to frame today's message with the context surrounding the book of First John. So First John was written by the same person who wrote the Gospel of John, and that's the Apostle John, brother of James and one of the coolest nickname in all of the Bible. He was one of the sons of thunder. Uh, Along with James and Peter, he was one of Jesus' closest companions. And one uh, one curious part about John is he was actually the oldest known living disciple. This is the guy who wrote uh, the Gospel of John. He wrote First, Second, and Third John, and he also wrote the Book of Revelation near the end of his life. Now, if you were to uh, identify the three focuses of First, Second, and Third John, um, it would really focus on the importance of love, obedience, and doctrinal truth. And he begins the Book of First John before we get into today's message, which will be in First John. Uh, chapter 1, he gets into it by painting a proper picture of Jesus Christ. And then he moves into the section we're going to be talking about today. And this passage is going to be over lightness, darkness, sin, and holiness. Okay, kind of the, the picture of lightness and darkness and, and, and likewise sin and holiness. And as I was preparing this message, there was something that I kept feeling at the core of what the purpose of this passage was. And really it came back to one thing. Too often, we forget about God. Too often, we forget about God. Now, I want to ask you guys, do you ever forget about God? How often do you go about your day and realize that it's been hours since you prayed? How often do you sin and instead of dealing with it, you distract yourself? How often do you wake up and the first thing that you do is looking at your phone instead of thanking the Lord for another day. The truth is we all have different ways that we forget about God, but doing so has significant results on our spiritual life. And my goal today is to see that we have power within us that leads to holiness. And we're going to see, and the main idea for today is that fellowship with God leads to a holy life. And because God demonstrates his love for us by dwelling within us by the Holy Spirit, then we testify to the reality of this by obeying him. And we're going to see that fellowship with God leads to a holy life through three ways. Number one, walking with God happens by walking in the light. Number two is that confession is bringing sin to the light. And lastly, that Christ's righteousness covers our darkness. Now, before we begin, I think it's important to note an important theme that will take place in this passage, and it's the equating of lightness and darkness to holiness and sin, respectively. Lightness representing holiness, darkness representing sin. 
and there's a lot of symbolism that takes place. So I think it's important to note just why the apostle uses this language. And throughout scripture, I want you to look here, light is used as a metaphor for righteousness or a metaphor for purity. Jesus is called the light of the world and the true light in the book of John. In 1 Thessalonians, believers in Jesus Christ are called children of light. And Proverbs 4.18 describes righteousness as the morning sun. And uh, on the flip side, darkness is a negative metaphor for evil. John's gospel says the darkness has not overcome the light. Ephesians 6, it describes evil spiritual forces as the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And Luke, when he's talking about Zechariah's prophecy of Jesus, he says that Jesus would give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. So as we read this passage today, keep that idea of lightness and darkness in your head, okay? So verse 5, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 begins. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter two, verse one, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So first let's look at verses five through seven here and see how fellowship with God leads to a holy life. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So off the heels of communicating the truth of the Son of God, Jesus coming to earth, John continues to tell us the message of that Jesus. That message is that God is light. What does this mean? It means that God is holy. It means that he's pure. It means that he's good. There is nothing about God that is evil or wrong. He is the standard of our holiness. We measure holiness by looking at God. It's not society. It's not culture. It's not laws that tell us what's good, holy, or pure. It is God and God alone. And continuing in verse 6, John makes a statement that should shock us. It should shock us and it should make us perk up our ears. And it says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. So what is John saying when he says walk in darkness? Is he saying that this is about those people who walk around at nighttime or people when they close their eyes? No, he is saying that walking in darkness is living a lifestyle that is characterized by sin. If you are walking in the darkness in a sinful, unrepentant lifestyle, you are not walking and practicing the truth. 
In other words, for a believer living in sin or darkness, that would be a lie with whom they have fellowship. Their fellowship would be with sin, not God. And this is, the, this is really the point of this section. And that's my first point today. Walking with God happens by walking in the light. Walking in the light looks like this, according to John. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now this section, it's, it's a direct contrast to verse 6. Walking in the light is walking in holiness. And notice the if-then type structure of this sentence. Walking in the light leads to fellowship with other believers. It's not that we have fellowship over our sin, but we fellowship in the good deeds that God has created us in Christ Jesus to do, like it says in Ephesians 2. Now, according to Acts 2, fellowship of the church is something that is very specific. It looks like devoting ourselves to proper teaching. It means breaking of bread, prayer, giving to anyone who had need, praising God. This is what fellowship looks like. And the question presents itself, why? Why should we walk in the light? The answer is because God is in the light. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. God's holiness is our standard of holiness. We can live a holy life because God is holy and God is dwelling within us. The holy life for humans can only occur through a transformed mind, heart, and desires that comes from a supernatural experience with the holy God of this world. This, the one who created everything, the one who created you, the one, if we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that dwells within us. He makes us holy. And it's important to note how verse 7 ends. The holiness that we are talking about is only produced by Jesus's atoning blood. His forgiveness of sin comes from his sacrifice. So I want to talk about this idea. Let's take some time and discuss this idea at our tables. Walking with God happens by walking in the light. But before we begin, I need to know, I got, I, you know this was coming. By show of hands, who's been watching the Obi-Wan Kenobi series? Yeah? Yeah? Where are my fellow nerds at? Let's go! Okay, so Obi-Wan Kenobi, if you guys know me, love Star Wars, so good. The themes of redemption, of light and darkness, come on! Is there any better story in the world? No, there's not. There's not. Uh, so... Obi-Wan Kenobi, the new series has come out. This scene, I'm not going to spoil it for you. Don't worry, okay? But in this scene, there were a few things that stood out to me, okay? So first of all, is just how bright the lightsabers are. Did you guys catch this? Look how bright that is. That is so bright. I remember thinking, this is so, so bright. And in this scene, okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi 
is using his lightsaber literally as a flashlight, trying to see his enemy. Okay, I'm not going to tell you who the enemy is. You can probably guess. But he is trying to see his enemy. Okay, that's what he's doing. And he's walking around, and he's trying to see his enemy in the dark. And this is the opposite of what we often do with the sin in our life. Rarely do we try to bring it to the light. Rarely do we want to voluntarily say, yes, I want to deal with the shame associated with my sin. Yes, I want to talk about where I have failed. Our pride, our ego, the things standing in our way, our, our desire to be perceived a certain way. Rarely do we put our sin in the light. Rarely do we shine a light and see all the gross, ugly aspects of the things in our life that we just don't want to talk about it. But John encourages us to do a different approach, not to avoid our sin, not to hide our sin, but to address our sin in a proper and healthy and holy way. And that happens in verse eight, okay? This is gonna be really applicable, okay? Verse eight, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So some of us think that living a holy life, maybe this is you, living a holy life is merely not sinning. Some of us think that living a holy life is merely not sinning. But this passage, which is all about walking in the light, walking in holiness, is indicating to us that a part of walking in holiness is receiving the forgiveness from God for your sin. The means in which we receive this grace, the, re the means in which this occurs is through confession. And confession, what is that? That is speaking your sins aloud, okay? So confession is bringing sin to the light, Confession is bringing sin to the light. But what is, what is he saying here? Verse 8, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. What is the truth that he's talking about? Well, people with the truth, people who have the truth who are in, in them, are people who are converted, regenerated Christians. But people who think they don't sin or th think that they never sin, or think they're inherently good and don't need a savior, they cannot be saved from their sin, right? If you don't reach out a hand to receive the help when you're about to fall off the cliff, you're just gonna fall. And, the, and he's saying here, but if the truth is in us, there is a proper response to our sin. There is a proper response to our sin. It's not saying, I don't have sin. It's not saying I don't need to address this issue in my life. It's not saying I'm just going to repress this and not talk about it. It is bringing it to the light by confessing it to our God who listens, who hears us, who is not just f some far off place, but he is a God who is near, who desires to hear from us, but also confessing it to a group of trusted believers doesn't mean you go around telling everyone your sin, but there's a group of trusted believers that you're confessing your sin to who can hold you accountable, who can encourage you, who can remind you of the grace you've received in Christ. So what does it mean to confess? What does confession lead to? Well, verse 9 shows us. Verse 9 talks about what confession leads to. If we confess our sins, what? 
he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is where I've been, and maybe you've been here before. I can't ask for forgiveness because you don't know what I've done. I can't ask for forgiveness because there's no way God will forgive me, dot, 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 again. How many times have I messed up and messed up and messed up? Well, we're going to see that Christ's sacrifice is sufficient. His mercies are new every morning. And a part of the belief that we have in Jesus Christ is the belief that his grace is sufficient enough for our sin. It's belief in, it's belief in the fact that his sacrifice, God dying on the cross, was enough to cover all of your sin. Not just the sin you've committed in the past before you were a Christian, but the sin, the sin that we commit even today. It leads to forgiveness, our sin, and it purifies us. This is the sanctification process. We cannot be sanctified if we are not constantly seeking forgiveness. We cannot be made holy unless we realize how much we need God. We need God. We cannot do it our own. So confessing our sin is the first practical step in killing sin in our life. And guys, we're about to get in some real truth here, okay? So Psalm 32.5, Romans 10.9 echoes this sentiment, okay? Psalm 32.5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and what? You forgave me the guilt of my sin. Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These are truths, friend. We have to latch onto these. We have to believe these if we're to live in the freedom that God promises us in Christ. We cannot ignore our sin. We cannot hide our sin. We cannot pretend that we are holy, perfect, good Christians that don't need a savior. The reason that we gather here today is because we all recognize the fact that we need Jesus. We need his atoning sacrifice to save us from our sin. And that is why we rejoice. That is why we praise, because of what he has done. Now the question arises, how is God faithful and just if he forgives us our sin? You might be thinking, what is faithful and just is to punish me for my sin. What is faithful and just is to earn the damnation that I earned from my sin. How is forgiveness faithful and just? Well, the first is that God is a promise keeper. God is a promise keeper. That is how he is faithful. He said he would forgive anyone who is in Christ. He would forgive anyone who is in Christ. But he's also just. And how is he just? I want you to think about this. How can God be just if he forgives us based on nothing that we did to earn it? God's justice, God's wrath was satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ. The wrath, the justice, the punishment that we deserved, Christ paid our substitutionary penalty that we earned. He stood in our place. The death that he died was the death that we earned. That is how God is simultaneously merciful and simultaneously just. Ray Van Nest, he's an author and professor of biblical studies at Union University. 
He says it like this. We might wonder why the faithfulness and justice of God would lead him to forgive our sins. For justice seems to require his punishing our sins. Because Christ has taken their punishment and has promised them his righteousness, this forgiveness and cleansing is the just and faithful thing for God to do. Fellowship with God leads to a holy life. And fellowshipping with God requires a proper response to our sin. And that is a contrite heart, confession, and receiving his forgiveness. But that only happens because of Christ's sacrifice. So let's continue and read verse 10. If we have claimed we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So after describing the atoning effects of Jesus Christ's blood, which is the purifying of all righteousness, is what, what we saw, John makes this statement. How can we make God out to be a liar? Is, is John saying that God is a liar if we say this? No, he's saying that if we say we have no sin, but God has said we have sin, we are saying, in effect, that God's a liar. No, God's lying. I've never sinned. And so that's what he's saying here. He's not saying that God is a liar, but he's saying our claim of self-righteousness would make uh, would be a claim that God is simultaneously a liar as well. And this is important because we first have to realize our sin before we can confess it. How can you confess something you don't need, know needs confessing? Admitting that you are a sinner is the first step to confession. Admitting that you are a sinner is the first step to the effectual heart change that happens when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how it starts to take root, when you recognize your need for a savior. That's really the point of all this. How can there be good news if there was not bad news first? We are, a sinner. We are sinners in need of a savior. Tom Constable, he describes it like this. It puts God's re revelation of sin aside and makes man the authority for what is and what is not sin. This claim says God is wrong in his judgment of man and is therefore a liar. The claimant dismisses his word as invalid. This comes back to a truth that we were talking about earlier, that culture, society, laws, those are not the things that dictate what is holy, good, and just. We sin against God, not culture. We sin against God, not society. We sin against God's standard of righteousness. When we miss the mark, which is what sin is, we are not missing the mark of what society tells us we should be. We are missing the mark of God's righteousness. So when we sin, we are sinning against God and his standard. Our forgiveness is not a license to sin. It is an opportunity to live in freedom from sin. Okay? And that's what he says in chapter two. This is what he's getting at. My dear children... Paul is saying he loves us, or sorry, John is saying he loves us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. See, the conclusion that he's making is very clear, is that despite the forgiveness that we receive, the forgiveness that God has lavishly given us, generously giving us, it is not a license to keep on living that way. He desires us to pursue holiness. Yes, we confess our sin when we, when we sin, when we miss the mark, but it's not this flippant, nonchalant attitude to the sin in our life. It's not this attitude of just being okay with messing up. It's this idea of constantly reminding ourselves that we are not to live in the way that we used to be. 
But John knows that we will sin. He knows that we will sin on this side of heaven. We are broken. We're in need. That is why he says, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Have you ever thought about that? That Jesus is our advocate? We have an advocate? This is the same word, the same Greek word that's often used to describe the Holy Spirit as our helper. Now, how is Jesus Christ our helper? Isn't he in heaven right now? Isn't he at the right hand of the Father? How could Jesus Christ be our helper? Isn't that why he gave us the Holy Spirit? Well, let's think about what Jesus Christ is doing right now in heaven. He is pleading our case to the Father. He is our intermediary. He is in between us and the Father saying, do not punish them. They have received my righteousness. Do not punish them. I have taken their punishment. That is what Christ is doing in heaven to the Father. Jesus is our advocate. Now imagine a legal sense, okay? In a legal sense, Jesus is essentially our lawyer. He is repre- a lawyer represents the interests of another party. They are not the party themselves, but they are representing the interests of another party. And in a legal sense, God's law would pretty obviously indicate that we are guilty, right? God's law would say, yep, you are a sinner. You have messed up. That one time you stole the toy from your brother or sister, you were, you're screwed. Sorry, man. It's over. In a legal sense, we are guilty. But Christ, on our behalf, as our advocate, pleads for us. Christ's righteousness has been applied to those who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sin. The penalty has already been paid, and we are declared not guilty. The verdict is not guilty because of Christ's sacrifice. Romans 8, 1 and Colossians 2, 14 describe this reality. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2, 14 says, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Notice the legal language in both of these verses. There is no condemnation. He has canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Without Christ, our verdict would very obviously be guilty. But Christ has covered us with his righteousness for those that are in Christ. And that's my last point today, is that Christ's righteousness covers our darkness. Christ's righteousness covers our darkness. You might be thinking, Kevin, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. I am broken. There's no way that I can be with God. Well, friends, there's nothing you've done and nothing that's been done to you that can separate you from the love of God. And he loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice, to die in our place and attribute his righteousness to anyone who would believe in him. That is the beauty of the gospel. We have to get this right. We have to get this right because this is which This is where our hope is found. It's not found in our effort. It's not found in our religiosity. It's not found in how many times we pray or read our Bible or know all the verses. It is found in Christ and Christ alone. That is our hope. And it is a hopeful message because it is not dependent on you. And if it's not dependent on you to earn it, then guess what? It's not dependent on you to lose it either. 
That is good news because the work has been done. The work has been done. Christ's righteousness covers our darkness. Verse two, this is the good news, friends. This is the good news. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Christ's sacrifice was so perfect that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not only the lucky few who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is how sufficient Christ's sacrifice is. So my question for you today is have you called on the name of the Lord for your salvation? Have you recognized your need of a savior? And have you asked him to forgive you of your sin? There's nothing you can do to earn this salvation. And if there's nothing you can do to earn it, there's nothing you can do to lose it. Have you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin? Let me pray for us. And let's have some discussion at our tables. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word and just be reminded of the good news. Be reminded of the life that you've called us to. And Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've given us to live that life. Lord, I pray for everyone in this room. Lord, I pray that the good news, the gospel, would be clear. That if you're stirring in the hearts of any of these students, that they would seek Uh, someone at their table, me, Shanae, anyone to talk them through what it means to follow Jesus. And God, I ask that you would be glorified in this ministry, glorified at Wildwood, glorified in this community. Lord, that your name would be made great, that it would not be ours, it would not be Wildwood's, but it would be you. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray all this asking for your mercy, your grace, and for you to be magnified today in our worship and our words and our conduct. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.